social victims and victimizers. At this point in time, roughly 87% of the world has a cell phone, almost 6 billion cellular users. Cell phones are more popular than landlines in the poorest regions of the globe. A, a landline telephone is an antique, if you even know what it is. The blogosphere, unknown to mankind 15 years ago, is, is huge. 76.5 million WordPress.com blogs running 27% of the entire internet. Logs over 1 billion downloads per month. Google processes 40,000 searches per second. 3.5 billion searches per day, 1.2 trillion worldwide per year. By far the world's largest social network by a long shot, Facebook, was launched in February, just to get perspective, February 2004. On pace to hit over 2 billion users worldwide in 2017. U.S. is the smallest of the users, 231 million. Europe has 349 million users. Asia Pacific is the largest with 673 million. The rest of the world, 606 million users. Instagram has over 400 million users. Twitter, launched May of 2006, boasts 320 million users. Uh, nearly 2 billion searches on Twitter each day. LinkedIn has 100 million. Pinterest, 100 million. Snapchat figures unknown. The internet is, for all practical purposes, less than 25 years old. It now reaches every continent and country, linking billions of people. Yet, many Christians are confused and unclear as to their responsibility as it pertains to social media. Some Christians get on social media and all reason goes out the window. Some are troublemakers, some are trouble magnets, some are just trouble. How should a Christian engage with others, specifically on social media? Obviously wisely, obviously exercising discernment. My point is that Christians should not be quick to identify as victims, should not seek victimhood, should not victimize, and should not be surprised by legitimate victimization. Albert Moeller wrote an article called The Christian Leader in the Digital Age, and he states this, in the span of less than three decades, we have redefined the way humans communicate, entertain, inform, research, create, and connect. The digital world did not exist a, a generation ago. Now it is a fundamental fact of life. The world spawned by the personal computer, the internet, social media, and smartphone now constitutes the greatest arena of public discussion and debate the world has ever known. My tagline here today, tonight, is strive to be a blessing rather than a bully or a baby. And I think everyone is somewhere along this spectrum. You're either a bully or you're a baby or hopefully you're in the sweet spot and you're a blessing. So we're going to look at each one of these one by one. Let's talk about bullies first. Bullies, online bullies, are self-centered and they are truly the weak ones. How do you deal with the bully online? Do you cave in and say, well, this is just the way it is, and you know, they're extreme, they're hateful, it's just, it's, you know, can't do anything about it? Uh, do you want to succumb to those who are intent on snuffing out free speech? Should you fight back tooth and nail? Or is there a reasoned response from radically transformed Christians who humbly and boldly 
wield the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. How do you deal with a bully? First, pray for him. Pray for God to change their heart. You pray for someone, you'll be surprised how your attitude changes towards them. The next thing is, don't answer a fool in his folly. Don't answer a fool in his folly. In fact, Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool when he remains silent is considered wise. So you never regret, most of the time at least, what you don't say. And also, don't retaliate, but bite the dog if necessary. Let me explain. Do you remember Ralphie in A Christmas Story, punching the bully? It's kind of like that. Let me give you a few Bible verses. Proverbs 14, 3. By, by the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back. Proverbs 18, 6. A fool's lips walks into a fight, and his mouth invites a bleeding, a beating. Fool's mouth calls for blows. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15 instructs us this way. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. I'm not telling you to go, you know, get into fistfights. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And then Romans 12, 17 to 19. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Now think about that for a moment. Don't repay someone evil for evil, but give thought. Think about what is the honorable thing for me to do in the sight of all. Man, let's say you're walking down the street one day and someone comes up and just, you know, uh, says something horrible to your wife. You're just going to let it go? Are you going to say something? What are you going to do? Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I, I don't think there's a, a good place for us to condemn others or to condone their sin or to celebrate their sin. There's an article we were going to post up that I wrote, I think, four years ago regarding um, uh, the gay and lesbian agenda and also how Christians should respond. They called it a, a call for, for loving Christian conviction. But the idea is you don't want to condemn people for their sins. You don't want to condone their sins. You don't want to celebrate their sin. You want to confess your sins, but sometimes you need to confront sin. Now, how do you not be a bully? I've got three Bible passages here, Romans 12, 3. First, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Don't get puffed up in your own thinking. Don't think that what you have to say, everyone necessarily needs or wants to hear. Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ forgave you. Remember how Christ has forgiven you? It can help you not be a bully. In James 5, 16, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. If that's going on in your life, if you're confessing your sins to fellow believers and praying for fellow believers, you're probably not going to be a bully. But what if you're a baby? What if you're a baby? Babies are self-centered and cry because someone said something that hurt them. Now, babies in the room, I know I saw Lydia, little sweet baby girl. Um, we're not talking about Lydia, okay? We're talking about grown-ups that are babies, okay? Um, now, here's something that's interesting. The parenting models of, for many years now, have encouraged these kind of results. Everyone gets a trophy. You can be anything you want to be. You set kids up to not be able to deal with rejection, failure, and reality. Uh, now we call it helicopter parenting, where you just have to be there swooping in at all times. How do you know if you're a baby? 
First, you need more than the usual amount of positive reinforcement. Sure, everyone needs encouragement, but you need loads and loads, heaps of it. You need more than the usual amount of positive reinforcement. Two, you're always worried about what someone said or did or how they looked at you. Now, online, it's, it's what they said, right? Uh, one of, you know, a really entertaining thing to do is read some of the comments, some of the comment threads uh, just off of someone's post. And, wow, you can learn some interesting things about people. I've learned some interesting things about people in our church. Number three, you can't take criticism, but you can give it. Let's say you're attacked, and let's say, I'm not trying to be a baby or anything, but how do I have a proper attitude or perspective when I'm attacked? Number one, question your own heart or motives first. Question your own heart and motives first. Pray for the person. I think you can't do that too many times. And don't accuse, but seek to understand the issue. Uh, what I've found is that we are really bold on social media to say and do things we would never say or do face-to-face -face with someone. But what truly qualifies as persecution? Let's say you say, well, you know, I'm not a baby. I'm just getting persecuted all the time for my, for my views. Here's what is true persecution for a Christian. When you suffer for your faith and your testimony for Christ. John was on the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Okay, if you're not suffering persecution for that, if you're just uh, heaping upon yourself the, the, the um, consequences for being unwise, you're not getting persecuted. Well, let's talk about being blessers. Uh, not a baby, not a bully, but someone who blesses. A blesser is Christ-centered and forgets about themselves to serve God and others. So here's a couple ideas. Number one, resolve to do good to others. Wherever humans live, depraved humans, sin is going to rear its ugly head. doesn't matter if it's on your block. It doesn't matter if it's on your computer screen. But that ugly head will often be covered with a deceptive mask. And we would do well to speak the truth in an atmosphere of love rather than hide the truth or obscure the truth in an atmosphere of fear of man or false acceptance. You want to resolve to do good to others. And doing good to others doesn't mean just wholesale agreeing with everything they say or do. Number two, resist the temptation to retaliate. 1 Peter 3, 8, 9, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. A tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Number three, realize that hurting people hurt people. Usually the people that are out hurting people are because they are hurting themselves. Doesn't it give an excuse? It does give you some perspective. And number four, rely on honest, godly friends and mentors. Rely on honest, godly friends and mentors. Usually the people that are getting themselves in the most trouble online are the ones that are not listening to any wise counsel. I want to say a couple words to parents um, in this context. Uh, my friend Eric Wallace and his wife Leslie, uh, they have a ministry called Uniting Church and Home. They live in Virginia. And there's a couple things they wrote in an article just recently that I thought were helpful to pass on to some parents. Uh, number one, God is sovereign. Parents nowadays feel this weight to protect their children from all the evils of the world. And they become stifling sometimes to their kids. They become really stressed out. And they say, be proactive as a parent, but remember God is in control. He knows the ins and outs of internet danger. He loves your kids more than you do. 
One thing that they do in their family is they keep electronics out of bedrooms. Uh, they say, this is what they say, in our house, phones are docked in the master bedroom at night, and computers are not allowed in bedrooms. Okay? Uh, and they say that these two steps make accountability easier. I think they have like 11 kids. No, I think it's like eight, only eight. Um, they have, the, they use a thing called Circle, uh, it's a device that connects your home and uh, Wi-Fi and allows you to have complete control over it. You can set time limits and bedtimes for each individual device connected to your Wi-Fi. And in case you think, wow, that's controlling, how many of you grew up not having a cell phone? Okay. Okay, how many of you grew up, everybody gets cell phones? That would be if you're under like 30, okay? No offense, it's just the way, the life, the, it's the world we live in, okay? It's the world we live in. And I think for some people, they think, well, it's a given, you gotta give me what, you gotta, you gotta feed me, clothe me, and give me a phone and Wi-Fi, okay? <laughs> These are not parenting givens, okay? You do not have to give your kids, sorry kids, I'm really sorry. You just don't have to give your kids these things. Um, this family says hold off giving cell phone privileges as long as possible, okay? Our family had, had a line of demarcation, you know, four years old, no. No, um, <laughs> uh, our, our family had a line of demarcation for that. Uh, this family, the Wallaces say they give phones when you're driving age, okay? Um, and they, as a family, don't allow Facebook until 12 years old, an arbitrary age for them, but it seems to work for them, okay? The idea is this, you want balance, you don't want to be too strict, you don't want to be too lenient, okay? Tony Reinke of Desiring God had an article entitled Instagram Generation, how, how smartphone cameras are changing our lives. And I'm gonna use a term right now, you may have heard it, but there are a lot of people that are guilty of it. You might be guilty of it. Sharenting. Sharenting, a term for parents who can't stop posting their children online. Uh, birth photos, baby pictures, first steps, first smiles, first words, first this, first that, first bowel movement. I mean, we're talking like, you have got to be kidding me. All documented and shared on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the like. And, and, and I'll tell you something. I sometimes think, do these people ever enjoy the time that they're actually having in that moment? Wait a minute, I gotta post it up. It's like you just lost the moment. Sorry, stepping on your toes, breaking your toes. Um, the phenomena of teen selfies. Oh, all these teens are doing selfies. You know where they came from? They grew up with a phone, a, a camera in their face their whole life. Their parents had a camera in their face the whole life. What do you expect? We are a generation of parents that raised our kids with a constant camera in their face. So a decade later, we're like, why are they taking selfies? We're just beginning to see the impact of our habits on the next generation. There's a techno marriage. All of our selfies, sharenting, and digital impulses are the product of a revolutionary technological marriage. You got social media, smartphone, camera on the smartphone, and the mobile web. And the merging of these three techno wonders has fundamentally shaped our self-perception, self-projection, and everything in between. Number five, remember you're representing the king King of kings and Lord of lords, who sees everything. Let me give you some general advice. When you deal with issues, now you're online and you're getting provoked. Anyone ever felt provoked after reading something online? Please, the one honest person in the room, thank you very much. 
I, is this, wait, seriously. Is it just, just Elise and I? Okay, so you have been provoked online. You've, you've felt provoked. Okay, good. I felt provoked reading some of the stuff some of you have written before. Um, <laughs> l- let me just say, and, and, but you know what? I controlled myself and you didn't even know. You didn't even know. I didn't write you back. I didn't comment on your post. When dealing with issues, ask this. Is this a personal issue? Like, am I just not liking that person? I don't like what, how they talk or what they're saying and the tone they're using. It seems the tone they're using. Is it a philosophical issue? Do I disagree with them on a philosophical issue? Okay, you've got to have some freedom there. Or is it, number three, a biblical theological issue? Is this something the Bible clearly, you know, talks about that I should wade in on if there's some false teaching going on? And um, I don't know why. <laughs> oh, I do know why. Because I put it in there twice on purpose. Is it a personal issue? <laughs> no, many times. No, seriously. I, now I'm going, why did I put this in here? I, I made these notes a, like a week ago, didn't I, or something like this? I remember. Uh, James 1.20, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You really do need to wonder. Uh, I think more things are personal issues that we are willing to admit. Here are some ground rules for social interactions on social media. Understanding comes before evaluation. Boy, if we could only do that, right? Seek to understand. Seek to understand and, and, and ask good questions. And, and seek to, to understand rather than be understood. Number two, seek to understand rather than be understood. Let me just say this. We, most of us have trouble in person getting our point across. Now we're going to get on a on a keyboard with someone we've never met, and we don't know their backstory, we just see the comment they made, and we're gonna start, you know, sifting all this stuff out, it's just, it's crazy. You gotta avoid straw man arguments where you pick your opponent's weakest point and then knock it down, it's really easy to do. And remember, and this has already been addressed tonight, but issues have different weight and value. Issues have different weight and value. And so everything isn't the end of the world, okay? So I'm going to give you uh, the top 10 wisdom nuggets for, mi- for, for social media users, okay? Here we go. Top 10 wisdom nuggets for all media users. Number one, never press send when you are angry. Well, who you are is magnified on social media. And we are bold to say things we'd never say in person. But never press send when you are angry. Number two, be very careful what you put in writing. I've been telling people this for years, even before we had the internet. Just be very careful what you put in writing to people. Whether you're handwriting something, which we don't do very often. Our our writing is really bad now because we don't write enough. We don't write letters. Um, Kevin DeYoung uh, wrote an article called The One Indispensable Rule for Using Social Media. I really liked it. He said, whether you're a tween, a teen, a pastor, a politician, a grandma, or a grad student, whether you blog, tweet, post, or pin, the one indispensable social media rule that you must follow if you want to be wise, edifying, and save yourself a lot of anguish. Assume that everyone, everywhere, will read what you write and see what you post. Assume that everyone, everywhere, will read what you write and see what you post. Number three, pray for wisdom and discernment in the wise use of words. Ephesians 4.29, anyone? Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only 
such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Gospel Coalition had a good article called Solomon's Twitter Guidelines, 25 Wise Ideas. Let me give you a few gems. Think before you tweet. Don't be afraid to delete. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Here's another gem. It's okay to unfollow some people, block them, or ignore them. Proverbs 14, 7, leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. Here's another gem. Turn the volume down from 11. Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And then the last gem I'll give you is don't make matters worse. Don't make things worse. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, he who is slow to anger quiets contention. So pray for wisdom and discernment in the wise use of words. Number four, if your goal is to correct someone, pick up a phone, or better yet, talk to them in person. We are, again, so bold from behind the screen, face-to-face -face usually softens all hearts involved. Number five, Think about how you would like to be treated and spoken to. Again, a lot of things are said on social media that would never be said verbally or in person. Number six, ask what are my motives? You know, am I seeking to be a blessing and an encouragement or am I seeking to get attention for myself? Am I seeking for looking for likes? Am I trying to stir people up? Or do I want to be a blessing and encouragement? And, and you can see how a lot of these things are just basically transferable to your life. You know, not on social media, the rest of your life. Number seven, count to ten before pressing send and never, ever, ever press send when you are angry. Number eight, reread what you've written several times before you send it. Better yet, have a trusted friend edit it. I've done that many times, actually on a, a thing I needed to write that I really needed to answer someone about something and it was necessary to put it in writing, I, I've had people look at it and say, I need you to look at this. Help me see if it's wise. And every time, seriously, 100% of the time, whoever I've asked for advice has said, I wouldn't say that sentence. I, I would take that out. I would I'd phrase this differently. Number nine, does what you wrote honor Jesus Christ and jive with the word of God? Number 10, forget about yourself and ask God to use you to bless others and never, ever, ever press send when you are angry. You have to get over your sense of self-importance, be a servant, trust God to set a guard over your lips and fingertips. Trust God to set a guard over your lips and your fingertips. And I forgot my number one visual aid. I was going to get a tube of toothpaste and squeeze the toothpaste out onto a plate and then say, would anyone like to try to get this toothpaste back in the tube? It was pretty tough. Once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's really hard to put it back in. Once the words are said, it's hard to take back. Conclusion, you represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Live not for yourself, but for him. And in closing, Albert Moeller is helpful again to us. He speaks of a gospel imperative in the digital, in the digital age. 
a gospel imperative in the digital age. He says, the church is assigned the task of sharing the gospel, taking the message of Christ to the world, making disciples of all the nations. Christians have been about this task for more than 2,000 years and are now witnessing a resurgence in Great Commission vision and vigor in a new generation of gospel Christians. Just as the Gutenberg Revolution granted the, the generation of the Reformation unprecedented new opportunities to communicate the message, the digital revolution presents today's believers with tools, platforms, and opportunities that previous generations of Christians could not have imagined. Our imperative, though, to fulfill Christian leadership in the digital world is not technological. Our driving motivation must be a gospel imperative to see the gospel of Jesus Christ, the full wealth of Christian conviction, and the comprehensive reach of the Christian worldview set before a sinful world. In other words, the Christian imperative in the digital domain comes down to this, sharing the light in a world of darkness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. I pray, Lord, you would make us wise.